0: Father, we bow our minds, our hearts, and our lives before you this morning. We pray, O Christ, that you rule over us in your word. We pray that you sanctify us in your word. Pray that you give us a love and a desire for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you shape our worldview through the truth of Scripture. Meet with us and speak to us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to see you all this morning, and it's good to be with you and share God's word with you. Today we will be in John chapter 17. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn there with me to John chapter 17. This morning we will be concluding our two-part mini-series focusing on the importance of Scripture. And we are doing this to set the foundation for our all-church Bible reading plan that, um, as we mentioned earlier, began on January 1st, which was this last Friday. The theme for this series is actually our prayer for our church in 2021, and that is we pray for God to sanctify us in his word. We pray for God to set us apart for holy service to him. Last week, we learned that when scripture speaks, God speaks, and when we listen to God speak, we get to know him, and there's no greater treasure in this universe than knowing God. This morning, we're going to look at two realities, one, that Jesus rules over us, and two, that Jesus sanctifies us in his word, and our main passage for consideration this morning is John 17, verses 17 through 19, so let's look at it together, and this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he is um, praying for his disciples in this section, and Jesus prays, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. I want to begin this morning by talking about something that everyone has, but no one really talks about. And that is a worldview. Whether we realize it or not, we all have a worldview. In short, our worldview is the lens through which we see the world, kind of like a pair of glasses. But it's more than just how we see the world, it's how we believe we should live in the world. Your worldview affects what you see in the world, and how you see it. And this is why the facts on the ground can be exactly the same, but different people come to different conclusions because they have different worldviews. They're looking at those facts through two different lenses. And there are many things that shape our worldview, our family, our family culture, our ethnicity, our religion, our education, technology, media, our experience, and we could go on and on and on. But let me give you one example. Disney does a great job of promoting their worldview. And their worldview is this if you can dream it, you can do it. This message is so ingrained in us that we don't think twice about pursuing a dream. This message is so ingrained in us that it's a cultural sin for you to not follow your dreams. This message is so deeply embedded in us that it's a cultural sin to tell somebody that they should not follow their dreams no matter how crazy it is. This is why we have so many people on American Idol who are terrible singers. But this message is so prominent that it has entered the Christian realm. I want to share with you a couple book descriptions that I read in a recent brochure from a Christian book distributor. So these are describing the books that they're trying to sell. And this is from a Christian uh, distributor. What impossible dream are you praying about? Sharing new insights and personal stories, this author will help you achieve your desires through audacious prayer. Here's another one. Remember the exciting plans you had for your life? before somebody told you they were impossible? This author wants to help you rediscover those passions. In this book, the author will show you how to clearly define your dreams, identify obstacles, develop a specific strategy for reaching your goals, acquire the tools you need, and take action. Notice how Disney's worldview and message is infiltrating Christianity. Now, my point here is not to say that we should never watch Disney movies. The point is that it's important for us to understand the things that are influencing our worldview. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in Colossians 2.8 where he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We live in a fallen world And we are in a spiritual battle. As the Apostle Paul continues in Ephesians uh, 6, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in a battle against our souls and nothing less than salvation and sanctification is at stake here. Therefore, we must know that everyone has a worldview. There is no such thing as neutral or being unbiased because we all have a lens through which we see the world. Now, this morning, I want to argue that we need Scripture to be the lens through which we see the world. We need Scripture to be the foundation for our worldview, And there are two reasons why I want to argue this, and these are my two points this morning. So we need Scripture to be the foundation for our worldview. First, because Jesus rules over us in his word. And second, because Jesus sanctifies us in his word. So we're going to look at both of those in turn here. First, we need Scripture to be the foundation of our worldview because Jesus rules over us in his word. So the appropriate place to start here would be, who is Jesus? Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians 1 makes this clear. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created every drop of water in the ocean. He sustains every cell in your body as you sit here right now. He is the king and the owner of creation. And this is reality no matter what your worldview is. But as we know and we talk about all the time, his creation rebelled against him. And therefore, because he is holy, he had to separate himself from his most cherished of creatures, which is us. And we have all sinned against him, and therefore we are all deserving of his fury and his wrath. And one way that we have sinned against him is by disrespecting and disobeying his authority, which is laid out for us in his word. So one way you can think of sin is like this. Sin is disobeying God's word in anything that we think or we feel or we do. And we're all guilty of this. But the good news that we proclaim every week here is that in the fullness of time, King Jesus left his heavenly riches to come and redeem his people. The king left heaven and came and he lived in a fallen world. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He obeyed God's word perfectly. And Jesus Christ died and bore the wrath of God that his people deserve on the cross And on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave conquering sin, death, and Satan so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the heart of the gospel, but this is not the whole of the gospel. After Jesus rose from the grave, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him, Matthew 28. He lived for 40 days on earth and then he was brought up into heaven After Jesus was brought up into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father where he is seated right now as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This means that Jesus is the king over every king throughout the history of the world. As we looked at a couple weeks ago, Jesus has been highly exalted and has been given the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord over both the living and the dead. Jesus Christ is the head of all rule and authority. There is nothing that is outside the control and authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is king. And this is reality no matter what your worldview is. He created all things. He keeps all things working together. He owns all things, and he has authority over all things. My stepdad owns his own heating and air conditioning business. And as owner, what he says and what he decides has the final say over that business. As owner, he has authority over every aspect of his company. Now when it comes to Jesus, his company or his business is the whole universe. He has authority over all things, including you. He is your ultimate authority. He created you. He keeps you alive. He owns you. He is Lord We are his servants. He is king. We are his people. And we have been redeemed to live for the glory of our king. And what's amazing is that the glory of our king is also our ultimate good. Our king wants nothing but the best for us, and we know that because of the lengths to which he has gone to save us. We have a king who loves, who serves, and who saves his people. If Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus has saved you, then you must also believe that he is your Lord. This is why Christians claim that Jesus is both our Lord and our savior. As Romans 10:9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king. Now, I say all of that to ask this question. If Jesus Christ is king, then how does he rule over his people? How does Jesus exercise his authority over us? Jesus rules over us in his word. And I want to make this point by looking at King Jesus' view of Scripture Now, there's no way that we'll be able to go into all the verses that pertain to this, but we're going to look at a few. And we're not going to be able to read them or dive deeply into them, but I want you to write them down. I encourage you to read them and study them. The first one is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And this was actually in our reading plan yesterday. But in this passage, Jesus was led up by the Spirit... Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In this narrative, the king of creation was tempted by one of his own creatures, the devil. And in this temptation, what does Jesus appeal to? Three times, Jesus says, It is written. Jesus appeals to the word of God. So we see here that to Jesus, the scripture has authority over the devil. Because after the third time, the devil left him. To Jesus, Scripture has authority over his creation. Another example is Matthew 15, excuse me, Matthew 15, 1 through 6. Matthew 15, 1 through 6. In this passage, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes for, for placing their tradition over the word of God. And Jesus says, you have made void the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus is contrasting human tradition with the word of God. And he is emphatic that human traditions, which includes church traditions, must submit to and be corrected by the word of God. The word of God has authority over our traditions. Another example is John 10, 31 through 38. John 10, 31 through 38. And in this passage, the Jews are trying to stone Jesus for blasphemy, for claiming that he is God. And in his defense, Jesus does not appeal to his own authority. He does not appeal to the authority of the Father, but he appeals to the authority of scriptures, and he quotes Psalm 82, And in the midst of his appeal to the Old Testament, Jesus makes this side comment and he says, Scripture cannot be broken. No one in Jesus' day would deny the authority of Scripture. It cannot be broken. And therefore, Jesus appeals to it as having the full authority of God. Now, much more could be said And if you're interested, I have a couple resources if you want to dive deeper into it. But I hope you're getting an idea of Jesus' view of Scripture. To Jesus, Scripture carries the full authority of God. To Jesus, Scripture has authority over his creation. To Jesus, Scripture has authority over human tradition. The Bible is God's word and our ultimate authority. And to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God. Jesus is king, and he rules over us in his word. His word is our ultimate authority. The authority of scripture means that God's word carries the full authority of God. There's a famous bumper sticker that says, God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. I don't know if you've ever seen it or have heard that slogan before. Maybe not. But there's something wrong with that slogan. And that is that it suggests that the authority of what God says isn't settled until someone else believes it. The slogan should say, if God says it, that settles it. As R.C. Sproul says, quote, if God reveals something, that revelation carries the full weight of his authority. There is no higher authority. Once God opens his holy mouth, the matter is settled, End quote. The Bible is our sole written authority for faith in life. When scripture speaks, God speaks. When God says it, that settles it. God's word carries the full weight of God's authority. There are many ideas, messages, and lifestyles that are competing for our attention. And we cannot assume that someone who has a secular worldview has the same idea of justice as the Bible. And when I say secular worldview, I mean a worldview that is set apart away from God, a worldview that is without God. We cannot assume that someone who is without God has the same view of justice as the Scripture does. We cannot assume that a godless society has the same view of equality that Scripture does. We cannot assume that a scientist who actively hates God is going to do his science without a bias. Now, my point is not to dive into the nuances of all of that because there are nuances. My point is that it's important for us to understand that there is no such thing as neutrality. There is no such thing as being unbiased. And it's important for us to understand the things that are influencing our worldview. Because only God's word carries the full authority over our life. And therefore, we need Scripture to be the foundation for our worldview. We need Scripture to be the lens through which we see the world. Because Jesus rules over us in Scripture. And because Jesus sanctifies us in Scripture. So, second point this morning. We need Scripture to be the lens through which we see the world because Jesus sanctifies us in Scripture. I'd like to look at one more passage that describes Jesus' view of Scripture. And this is John 17, which we read earlier, and I'm going to read it again. Again, this is Jesus praying to the Father for his disciples. And this is what he prays. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you, Father, sent me into the world, so I, Jesus, have sent my disciples into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. That's actually the same word as sanctify. So for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. In this passage, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What a bold prayer. To Jesus, God's word is truth. To Jesus, God's word carries the full authority of God. And Jesus believes that scripture has the power to sanctify us. And so he prays that his disciples would be sanctified in the word. To be sanctified is to be set apart for God. As I talked about the secular worldview a moment ago, I said a secular worldview is a worldview that is set apart away from God. To be sanctified is to be set apart for God. It is to be completely dedicated to God. It is to be made holy. Now, one of the closest things that we have in our culture to something that's holy, is a holiday. A holiday, like New Year's Day, which we just celebrated a couple days ago, is a day that is set apart from other days of the year for something special. It's not your typical day. It's a holiday, a holy day. It's a day set apart for something special. To be sanctified is to be set apart for something special. And in this case, it is to be set apart from the world for God. It is to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus prays for his disciples to be set apart for God. And it is our prayer for our church that we would be set apart from the world for God. It is our prayer that God would sanctify us in his word, that he would set us apart for holy service to him. Now, what is this holy service? Jesus continues and answers that in verse 18. He says, he prays, as you father, talking to the father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God the Father sent Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus Christ sends us to seek and to save the lost. Our holy service to God is to seek and to save the lost and to share Christ with them. Our holy service to God is to fulfill His dream by building His kingdom. And there is no better mission to be a part of. There is no greater kingdom To be building. And there's no greater way that we can be serving our holy God. And this service starts with the inner renewal of sanctification. Our service to God starts with God transforming our worldview through His Word. You cannot be set apart for holy service to God with a self centered worldview. You cannot be set apart for holy service to God with a human-centered worldview. You can only be set apart for holy service to God with a God-centered worldview. And you can only develop a God-centered worldview through being sanctified in God's word. And so this is our prayer. That God would shape our worldview through his word. That God would set us apart for holy service to him. That God would sanctify us in his word. This is our goal for this Bible reading challenge. This is our prayer for this Bible reading challenge. Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Now we can't be sanctified in the word unless we're reading the word. But we need to do more than just read Scripture for the sake of checking it off the list. Because our goal in reading Scripture is not to read Scripture. Our goal in reading Scripture is not to read Scripture. Our goal in reading Scripture is to know God. Our goal is to be sanctified by His Word. And therefore, we need to meditate on Scripture. We need to apply it to our hearts, and we need to always have it on the forefront of our mind and our heart. I have a friend who told me about an experience he had at the grocery store a few weeks ago, and uh, he's given me permission to share this story. But he was at the grocery store, and he was standing in line, and there was a couple people in front of him, and they looked kind of raggedy. They were swearing at each other. They weren't wearing their masks properly, and they were buying just a bunch of junk. And when it came time for them to pray, not pray, pay, I have prayer on my mind. When it came time for these people to pay, the lady got really upset because someone must have borrowed her credit card or debit card and didn't give it back. And so I think there was more yelling and swearing, and eventually they just walked off and left their items there, and they didn't get any of them. And my friend just stood there. There was no one behind him and he just watched it happen. And he told me that as he was reflecting on this incident that he realized that he didn't help because he was only thinking about himself. He knows from scripture that Christ calls him to be selfless and to love others and helping them out by buying their food would have been a perfect example of displaying Christ's love. But he didn't because he didn't have scripture on the forefront of his mind and his heart. We need to always have scripture on the forefront of our mind and our heart if we are to be set apart for holy service to God. We need to be meditating on it, and we need to be applying it to our hearts. Now here's a few suggestions in how we can do this. This is certainly not all of the ways or the only ways to do it, but I hope that this helps us as we do this together. First, intentionally pray before you read scripture. There's a few prayers that I've found extremely helpful. The first one comes from John Piper. Um, He uses the IOUs acronym, I-O-U-S, and he prays, Father, incline, open, unite, and satisfy my heart in your word. And that's just a great way to get started. Another helpful prayer is found in Romans 12.2. Father, I, it's actually not a prayer in the passage, but I'm using the passage as a prayer. Father, renew my mind and transform my heart in your word. But what I would love most is for our church to pray like Jesus did in John seventeen seventeen before we enter scripture. Father, sanctify me in the truth. Your word is truth. I believe that God will answer that prayer. And I can't imagine what God would do when all of us are praying that prayer before we read the same passages every single day together. I'm excited to see what God will do with that. So first is intentionally pray before you read scripture. Second is read scripture carefully and ask questions about the passage. Now again, this is certainly not every question that you can ask, but here is hopefully a helpful place to start. What is the passage teaching? What does the passage say about God or about Jesus or about God's plan? How does this passage apply to me? And in light of God's grace to me in Christ, how can I live out this passage? Those are just a few questions um, to get started. So second is read the passage carefully and ask questions about it. Third, pray after reading the passage. I believe that the most proper response to reading God's word is repentance. So I encourage you to pray a prayer of repentance after reading God's word. And the acronym that I use that has been so helpful and I've shared it multiple times um, is the acronym CAR, C-A-R. And I got this from Heath Lampert. And basically, when I read scripture and if my heart is in the right place, I'm convicted of my sin. And so this acronym helps give me a place to start where I can repent to God. So the C stands for confess, confess, Your sins. We know that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. The A stands for affirm who you are in Christ. Because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'm convicted of my sin, but then I can feel like a huge failure. But affirming who I am in Christ has been so helpful that my identity is not in my sin, my identity is in Christ. And then the R, requesting God's grace. To change, And this is the beauty that we don't have to just go and try to do better all on our own, but God has sent his Holy Spirit to help us be more like Christ and to help us to live out his word so we can ask for God's help in doing that. So third, pray after reading the passage. Fourth, talk about the passage with others. And this is the beauty that we're all reading the same things together that we can talk about it, we can share it with one another. This gives you opportunities to ask others about the passage. If you have questions about the passage, you can ask them. If you're wrestling through what does this mean, Um, you can share what God is teaching you, you can share how God is applying the passage. And I just think that this is a great way to live out what God is teaching. So those are just a few suggestions, and again, they're not everything that we could or should be doing. Um, But I hope that that helps you so that it's more than just crossing something off the list Marty has also written a few suggestions on the back of the reading plan itself and so I hope those are helpful for you but my friends we are in a battle against our souls and nothing less than salvation and sanctification is at stake therefore we must understand and realize that everyone has a world view whether we realize it or not and we need scripture to be the lens through which we see the world because Jesus rules over us in his word and Jesus sanctifies us in his word. And we want you to know this because we want you to live out a comprehensive, a comprehensively biblical worldview. We want you to be aware of the dangers of a man or human-centered worldview. Deceit is the center and foundation of a man-centered worldview, where humans place themselves at the center as the true definer of life and reality, where lies and half-truths become a way of life and the justifier for all ungodly actions, resulting in fear and slavery to self and to sin. We want you to be aware of the dangers of a human-centered worldview because we don't want you to be conformed to the lies of this world, but we want you to be renewed by having a distinctively and comprehensively biblical and God-centered worldview. Truth is the foundation of a God-centered worldview where God himself defines what is reality, where repentance becomes a way of life, where faith in Christ frees us from all fear and deceit, resulting in peace and freedom in all areas. We desire you to have a worldview that places God at the center, where God defines reality, where God tells the truth. We desire all of you to continually grow in your understanding of and application of the biblical worldview. We desire all of you to see the world through the lens of Scripture and live in light of that reality. In other words, we desire for you to be sanctified in the truth because God's word is truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, in your goodness and kindness to us, have revealed Yourself to us. You have given us Your Word. We thank You that You have not left us to our own sin, but You rule over us in Your Word. I pray, Father, that our hearts are submissive to Your Word and obedient to Your Word by Your Spirit. I pray, Father, that You sanctify us In your word, I pray that you renew our mind and transform our hearts in your word so that we may see the world through scripture and that we may live in light of that reality which is your reality because your word is truth. Help us in this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.